Welcome to the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Today's guest is Sarah Mays. She is a Cedarville alumna, she is the mayor of the city of Xenia, Ohio, and she serves others well. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and joining me today on the program is Sarah Mays, the mayor of the city of Xenia and a graduate of Cedarville University. Sarah was recently re-elected to a second term as mayor late last year, and she has lived her entire life in Xenia. And from her perspective, as I've learned more about her, Sarah's heart is to serve the city of Xenia and its residents. She is active at Emmanuel Baptist Church, leading a high school girls Bible study, volunteering in the children's ministry, and on the worship team. And if that wasn't enough, Sarah and her husband, Adam, have been fostering children for 10 years at least, and they have three children. Sarah, you're a very busy person, so thank you for taking time to join me here in studio for the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to have you. I, we don't know each other well, but um, I forced my way into the city of Xenia and, and <laughs> made sure I got to meet you. Absolutely. Because you're an important person. Uh, <laughs> okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that as we go on sure. the podcast. But let's begin the conversation by talking about your early years attending Cedarville University. Now, I know the campus has changed yes, since you has. were a student, although I know you've been back here many times. But honestly, it's changed enough that even today, when I came on campus, I drove around the entire campus looking for how do I get back to the library parking lot? There's no library parking lot anymore. Yeah. Well, that's how it's changed. It has changed. But so when you think about back to your time as a student, mm-hmm. what comes to mind? Oh, foolishness. <laughs> I, so I was, I was one of those kids that grew up here on campus. My mom worked here for 20 years. Yep. Um, and she loved it. And, but when you decide then to also come to school here, there's, there's, um, you don't realize the good things at your fingertips. Right. 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 And so until they're gone. Sure. Right. Right. I was commuting. Um, I was, you know, getting tuition remission, not having a clue what a gift that was. Yeah. And so those first couple of years, honestly, I just did not use them well. I fooled around as far as just with school, kind of hit and miss. Um, I was very capable, but didn't apply myself. Right. Um, Had a ton of fun. Oh, I bet you did. I won't lie. I I had a ton of fun. I had great friends, friends that I'm still in contact with. Right. Uh, My first apartment was in Cedarville. Mm. It was a great place. Sometimes we drive by there, and I still just giggle a little bit when I drive by. But as far as just really investing myself, um, I didn't do it. And So I, I come back to campus with a lot of mixed emotions, to be honest. Mm. The things that, man, I should have done that differently. But at, but on the other hand, it's part of what's made me who I am. Yeah, right. Um, and kind of had to fight and claw my way back to get a degree and to get it done. Yeah. So there was a 10-year gap, I believe, from when you, roughly a 10-year gap, when you started back in 97. And mm. then when you came back, you graduated, what, in 07 or 08? So actually, <clears throat> I, uh, I graduated 08. Um, my social class would have been 2000. Okay. Um, I, it was junior year and I just, I was not, I was not cutting it. So I started working full time. Um, I actually did move to Oklahoma for one year for a job just because I thought I just need to make sure I can go somewhere and live life. Came back and I realized, you know, if I don't get back into school, I'm never going to finish my degree. And thinking through where my credits were, I also knew that a lot of my credits, you know, you have a Bible minor, that wasn't going to transfer anywhere. No. So it was a very humbling experience to apply for a job here. 
and I started working full time here mm -hmm. and started taking one class at a time to finish okay. that senior year. I was also taking a couple of credits through Clark State just to get some credits and get my GPA up because my GPA was terrible at the time. Uh, so there I was, 28, 29, finishing one class at a time. Um, at that time, I know things have changed a lot, but at that time, Cedarville was not really um, set up for non-traditional students. Right. And so even being 29 and working full-time, I felt so out of place. I remember sitting in a class and, and kind of we were in a small group explaining who we were, and I said, oh, I work here, and I'm working to finish my degree. And I remember a student saying, oh, I wondered why you were so much older than us. Oh. And it was such a moment of, oh, all right, Lord, I deserve that one. But it was good, right? It was good for me to have to fight my way through it because it taught me to keep going. I was, I'm going to persevere. It's okay that somebody doesn't understand. Um, it's okay that I'm still working and I have to make time in my 40 plus hours to get my schoolwork done right? because I appreciated my classes differently. Right. My first class back was physiological psychology. Mm. I was terrified. Dr. Becknell was my, was the professor. He was new. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I right. remember meeting with him privately before the class started. And I just, I'm scared to do this. And he just cheered me on the whole time. And I did great. Because now I was actually trying and yeah. wanted it. I wanted to finish well. Yeah. I wanted to be here. I wanted to get my degree done. And I loved it. So that second experience yeah. was just completely different. It forced me to work hard to get that GPA yeah. up, to get the degree done. And then my mom, she was still working here at the time. I was 30. She said, aren't you going to walk in graduation? And I just laughed. I said, Absolutely not. I just couldn't think of anything worse in my mind. I just thought sure. I, I've had enough humble pie for a lifetime. Yeah. But I said, tell you what, mom, my, my degree, my diploma is actually ready. I'm going to walk across the parking lot. You want to come? And, and she did. <laughs> and oh, we really? We did. I remember taking pictures as I walked across the parking lot to the office of the registrar. And then we went back to Dr. Brown's office and, and we took pictures and he handed me my diploma. So my mom got the picture of him handing, my, handing me the diploma. That's nice. And he said, what are you going to do next, Sarah? And we kind of chuckled. And I said, well, I'm going to go back to work now. <laughs> and and that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. And it's not traditional, but it's been it's been something that I can look back and say, you know what? Those are the things I had to learn. Yeah. I had to learn what it means to fight for something and work hard for something. Yep. It's humbling. But you, you also, especially when you came back, you had perspective. Yes. And everything looked different. I, and the and <clears throat> reason why I say that is because I can relate because I was not a good undergraduate student. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know it was, it was several years, uh, I don't eight or so, 10, I don't know that I decided to go get a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So, uh, let's transition off of your early years at Cedarville. And, uh, as I've learned more about your story, uh, I've learned that you and Adam, your husband have a passion for adoption mm -hmm. and foster the foster care system. Mm -hmm. Where did this love come from? I don't say this to be cliche, but I can genuinely say it's only from the Lord. Um, it's something that I had on my heart before I even met my husband. Um, adoption was important to me, but foster care, it just always intrigued me. And I just, I knew somewhere in, in my core, in my heart, I knew I could do it. Yeah. It's, it's so when Adam and I met and we were dating, it was really interesting because adoption was very high on his list. Okay. And he had not considered foster care, didn't know a lot about it, um, but he was open to it. 
And I think it was within the first year or two of our marriage, we went to a conference in the Cincinnati area. It was put on by Focus on the Family. And it was all about finding a forever home. And the conference was so powerful because they had people give testimony after testimony. And it was a foster mom, a foster dad, a sibling, and then a child who had been brought in um, to foster care and then been adopted. And, and it had all these different perspectives and different people just sharing their story of what it meant to find a forever home through foster care. But the last person that spoke, he was somebody that grew up in foster care and was never adopted. Mm. And his story of not having permanency and not having that family to go to on college break or Mm -hmm. Christmas time, it stopped us in our tracks, truly. And then after that whole, it was a whole day of listening to people speak. They had a secondary part of the conference that was a room full of different agencies Uh, different foster care agencies, whether it was county agencies or private agencies, because there's a lot. There's a lot to choose from for a lot of different reasons. And we landed with Montgomery County. Um, We were living in Xenia, but we just thought, Montgomery County, if we go this route, it's close enough that we can head to Dayton whenever we need to, but it's just far enough to give a little buffer that I'm not running into family, birth family, every time Uh, we go to the grocery. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. So... It really was just putting one foot in front of the other. And I tell a lot of friends who are new to foster care or considering it, there's no normal path. Nothing will go like you expect. And you really can't understand the full impact until you're in, in, in the heart of it. Um, and that's why I say it is only of God because yeah. it has brought us to our knees on more than one occasion. Just yeah. The stories I can tell you, and, and, and we can explore those if you want. They are harder than anything we could have ever imagined. But God prepared us for it in some way, and we've done it, and now we have a family with three kids that we've been incredibly blessed to adopt. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've had seven different kids come through our home, and and it's just been an amazing journey. So the three that you adopted, did did you first start with the foster system with Mm -hmm. them? Yep, every one of them. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Sure. Um, and so you speak as you feel comfortable, but so what, what were some difficult situations that you, (laughs) you had to work through, but then how did those difficulties impact you? Okay. So foster care at its heart is all about reunification with birth family. Okay. That is the goal. That is, that is always the goal. And you may say that you agree with that goal. But when it comes down to it and the rubber meets the road and it's it's coming to fruition, it's it's gut-wrenching. Giving them back has to be di- very right. difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one of the hard things, and I can, I've had to say this to a birth parent. I didn't, I, there was one parent, um, we had a little guy for almost three years. Mm. And when he went back to his mom, it's still one of those things that's hard to talk about because that's three years of my life from two months old to almost three years old. He was with us and we were um, planning to adopt there. The case had moved that direction and through a series of events. And, you know, I, I blamed a caseworker for a long time. I blamed the sure. agency. It is what it is mm-hmm. in God's timing he ended up going back and and I I've we've talked to her since and I know there were things that I didn't do great. I was fighting against her versus that reunification. Yeah. 
And we've made peace with that and we've talked through that, but it sure taught me a lot about what is my role? Is my role, my role is to advocate for the children in my home, but I also have a role to get to know these birth moms and to love on them and work with them. Because if a child is going to go back to her, how am I helping her become a better mom? Yeah. Am I just being an adversary or am I actually taking time to get to know her and teach her some of the things that I've been taught along the way? I'm yeah. by no means a perfect mom. Yeah. <laughs> Got a long ways to go for that. But having seven kids come through my home, I'm a lot further down the road than others. And so that's probably been one of the big things that I've learned is, is how do you have that relationship where, yes, I'm advocating for this child and their best, but also coming alongside and saying, what can I, what can I invest here? Yeah. And not just as a mom, but spiritually too. What yeah. am I teaching spiritually? Right. So that was probably, there's two scenarios that were probably two of the hardest. That was one of the hardest things that we've been through. Um, and then we had another incident where we had a, a little girl uh, come into our home. And I actually, this is very rare, but I had the opportunity to meet her when she was about five hours old. Really? And I sat with the birth mom knowing what was going to happen. And we just cried together. We just cried because yeah. she knew what was coming. Right. And it wasn't coming that day, but it was going to come in the next 24 to 48 hours. And um, she came to us and was with us for about four months and then went to a different family member. And truly through a series of events and accident, she ended up passing away at nine months old. Oh. And there are no words because yeah. I had a lot of misplaced grief. There was yeah. no room for me yeah. as a mom who wasn't a mom anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, she wasn't my child, but she was. Mm. And so there was this part of me that had mm. a mother's grief and heartbreak but wasn't a part of any of the grieving process with the family. Yeah. I wasn't invited to the funeral. Mm. And that birth mom later apologized to me for that. But it, again, in a moment of deep grief, you just act out yeah, and you, you, you just make decisions. And so through that, sometimes it's, what do I learn from that? What do you take away from that? And I can only come back to, it was a moment, it was later, a few months later that I was able to start building a bridge with that birth mom. And, and walk through some of her grief and grieve together. Yeah. And God had a, a reason for that. Like I said, it brings you to your knees. Yeah. But it also just, I wouldn't change our calling. I wouldn't change right. these kids that we had opportunities to love on. Yeah. I wouldn't change those kids that came into our home. And I wouldn't change our family. Our family, as hard and as difficult as it is, because every kid... No matter when you bring them home from the hospital or whatnot, there is just adoption is trauma. Adoption is so beautiful, but adoption is trauma. And I often think of it in relationship to to Jesus. It's that's not the intended way that Jesus had to die, right? Mm -hmm. Sin is not the intended way. No. But through that heartbreak of Jesus' death, we are adopted into the family. So it's beautiful, but but the pain that is with it. And I I I I sometimes that's probably become one of my bigger messages that I advocate about. Yes, it's beautiful, but my kids have stories that are painful. Right. I am not the intended person for them, but no. God has placed them with us and we make it work. Yeah. 
So it's a, it's a life of how do I honor their story? It's not my story to tell. I don't tell my own kid's story because it's their story to tell. But how do I honor their grief and their hurt and all the trauma that comes with that while celebrating that this is the family God gave us? Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Wow. What lessons or what insight would you share for people listening to this podcast who are considering fostering or adopting? My first thought, you know, is is it's an incredible thing to be a part of. It really is. Um, but you just, you have to keep in mind, I am not their savior. Correct. It is not my job to fix things. It is not my job to be somebody's savior. People hear foster care and they put you on a pedestal. Uh, yeah. The amount of times somebody will say to you, oh, I could never do that. Oh, you're so amazing. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Please stop. We all have different <laughs> callings. And believe me, I've screwed it up many times. So just having a humbleness going into it and recognizing this is not going to go as planned. You can think you know. It will not go as planned, good or bad. Just keep walking through it. And the second thing I would say is you absolutely have to have a support system. My church has been foundational in this. I don't know how anyone goes through foster or adoption, one, without Jesus, yeah. truly, right. and two, without a strong support system of strong believers who come alongside and just walk with you who weep with you, who rejoice with you. We, you have to have, we have a foster and adoption support group, um, a mom's group that meets once a month. I would be lost without those ladies. And mm. each one of those ladies knows the Lord. They understand things that I can't explain to a lot of people. I'll say it's our safe place where we can say things that are a little bit ugly. Sure. Um, things we won't repeat here, but you got to have that place where they get it and they know it's our safe place where you just I have to have that moment. Right. And having that support system because then at the end of the night we're all going to pray for each other. Yeah. And just keep pushing towards Jesus. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um I want to pivot slightly mm -hmm. to now what you're doing today professionally. You're the the mayor of the city of Xenia. Mm -hmm. Um and I want to try try to see if there's any uh linkage to Cedarville. Did Cedarville University do anything to help prepare you for what you're doing now as the sure. mayor of Xenia? Absolutely. Well, I, psychology major alone, oh, <laughs> right there. I'm afraid to talk to you. <laughs> I often joke, but but truly, being a psychology major, not because I'm using it and went further with it, but being mayor is all about relationships. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, it's about economic development and you've got to get your streets done and you've got to bring more business and you've got to bring jobs. You're right. But all of that is relationship-based. Right. And so, one, you know, you I, I have a background in that. But two, really, I would say that Cedarville obviously taught me a lot through the good and the bad of yeah. pushing through hard times and relationships. Even, even in those times where I struggled, those friendships run very deep here. Those, I mean, I, I kind of chuckle when I hear the, the, the slogan, you know, friends for life. It is. It's true. It, it just is. It's true. Um, some of those friends I was also in high school with, but they all came here. And those are the people you rely on. I met my husband through here. These are the relationships for life. Yeah. And learning how to navigate those relationships, a lot of that happened while I was here. And so very much that had an impact. Having a Bible minor, huge impact. I, I, I have often thought about coming back to retake some of those classes, even just to sit in on some of those, because again, Doing what we do, whether it's as a foster mom, adopted mom, or mayor, 
you have got to have your foundation steady and yeah. having Jesus at the at the core of that because it will rock your world. People right. say things to you and have expectations of you that are just they're hurtful. Yeah, they are. It's a, it's tough and I will tell you um being a woman in politics is tough and that's just at the local level. Some of those stories mm. that you hear, believe me, I can vouch for those. Yeah. These are yes, it is really hard. And so a lot of those things that I learned here through those professors absolutely is a part of what, what of just keeping that foundation solid. So why did you go into politics? <laughs> a great question. <laughs> Sometimes I still ask that question. <laughs> and you got reelected. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, it, I think part of it started when I was in high school. One of the county commissioners, her name was Kay, she came and spoke to us. And I remember thinking, she is a really interesting person. I could do something like that. Um, and then kind of putting it aside. But as I started working at my church, when I when I became a mom and I finished working full-time at Cedarville and I, I, I moved on to working part-time at my church, I became really involved in just some local events. We were a part of an organization called the Xenia Area Association of Churches and Ministries. Okay. And that organization partners a lot with the city. The city does not have a parks and rec department. And so they partner with the churches mm. to do things like the community Easter egg hunt, the community Thanksgiving meal, where they, we don't have the funding for that necessarily or the manpower. And so you connect with these churches. And so as I was working at my church, I started getting more and more involved in these um, events. And so I started meeting people who were already on city council, and I really liked what they were doing. And I thought, this is this is this is it. This makes sense to me because yeah. I love my community. I love Xenia. It yeah. is where I grew up. It's where I've spent my time. It's where my husband and I chose to stay. He actually moved up from Cincinnati because I wanted to be a part right. of what was going on there. And so I, I started talking to them more, and, and they encouraged me to volunteer on one of the commissions that just needed volunteers. And and then I got to know the the mayor previous to me. Her name was Marsha Bayless, right. a woman of God, yep. loves the Lord. Yep. She just took me under her wing, and I said to her one day, I want to do what you're doing to be able to lead your community in a way that honors the Lord and to be able to to show people Christ through this way of serving, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. So it just, again, putting one foot in front of the other, not knowing exactly where it was going to go, but started on council, started before that as volunteering on traffic commission. What did I know about traffic? <laughs> but it got me in the door in, in the context of I started learning the culture of our city, Yeah, started learning who's who in the city government and who... Um, who our city manager was and his way of, of running things. There's a whole different language that happens in your local government. So it was really good for me to be in that for a couple of years just to start understanding that. Then ran for council. And then um, when Marsha decided she was done, I wanted, I decided I wanted to run. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you did. Thank uh, you. I thought Marsha did a great job. She did. And, uh, and you're just kind of like a seamless transition following her. That's a lot of her, though. She would take me, um, especially after I got elected in November, from November and December before she was finished, that those two months of overlap, she took me to a lot of places, and she okay. introduced me to people, yeah. and she just handed that baton off so well yeah. that I felt like I was kind of already getting into the groove. Yeah. So in our final few minutes on the program, I'd like to intersect your faith with your political leadership, okay. if I can. Um, how do you weave your faith down mm -hmm. in City Hall? Well, it's who I am. Right. I, I mean, there's just, people know that. 
Um, I make no bones about it. Um, you know, I, I kind of compare it to, I don't take my wedding ring off when I walk into a different building. It's just who I am, right? right. I'm, I'm married to Adam. I'm the mother of three children. Right. Being a follower of Jesus is who I am. Yeah. And so you're just going to get that um, for good or for bad. Uh, I try to reflect it whenever I speak publicly. Um, I will tell people ahead of time when they ask me to speak, I'm happy to speak, but I'm going to talk a little bit about my, about my faith. If that's a problem, please let me know right? because this is just who I am. Um, I have the opportunity to usually once a year, um, we have a quarterly newsletter and mm-hmm. I have a chance to write a letter to the community. I, I try to weave that into that letter of this is part of my perspective and how I see things. It It's how I um, approach difficulties. I pray for our city. I pray about God, how do we get our streets fixed? Yeah. There is nothing that I try that I don't take he cares. to the Lord. He does. He cares about us being good stewards of right. our finances, yeah. about being good stewards of our employees. And so I I make it a practice to um, openly pray with people. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I usually don't even say that. I just usually pray with you then. Right then. And that's something that I've learned from our pastors. Um, don't don't put that off. Do it now. There's very few people. I can think of one person who has said no when I just say, would it be okay if I go ahead and pray with you? So most meetings that I take, um, I will meet with you over coffee, and I can tell you that we're probably going to pray at the end of that. Yeah. And, and it's just I want to live out my faith. I don't want to be somebody who hides it away. Uh, I There was one time that I did get a response from somebody, and they said, it, it bothered me that you put this scripture out there because you're not representing all faiths. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. And we had a great meeting over coffee. Yeah. She didn't change my mind. I didn't change her mind. That's okay. But it was what a wonderful opportunity to talk o- about our differences. It was an open door. Absolutely it was. Right, right. And I explained to her, this is why I do this. And she explained to me why it bothered her in a certain context. And I could hear that. I really could. And I thought, okay, I need to be aware that I'm. it's not my place to shove my faith down your throat. It's not. No, That's no. not being a testimony. So how do I continue to be open about who I am, but do it respectfully, right? Yeah. And to honor Jesus with, with respect. Our, our local government is nonpartisan. A lot of people don't understand that. Okay. At the very local level, it's nonpartisan. And so there's a lot of pushing and shoving of, well, what party are you? What party are you? I'm for Jesus. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow his way, and this is not about party politics. Right. So if you want to talk about my character and how I form my, you know, how I make my decisions through guidance and wisdom from people of faith that I trust, we can talk about that, but it was it's it's hard because people want to make decisions just based on a party politics. Absolutely, and that's just not who I am. I'm always going to come back to: is it grounded in the Word? Yeah, that's where I I stand firm. Is it in the Bible? So that's that's part of that's how it affects my leadership. That's great, and that tells me um, for at least the next four years, the city of Xenia is moving in the right direction. Are you term limited after this time? I'm not. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, I think that's great. That's great for we'll the city of Xenia. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the Lord has for you. That's exactly. That's the bottom line. Yep. So uh, I am out of time, but I'm going to ask you one final question. Okay. And I ask this to most of our podcast guests. So the Cedarville Stories' purpose is to share Cedarville Stories for God's glory. How do you try to bring God glory through your life? Oh, I try to be authentic. When I get up in the morning, I know I just need to be who I am. And to not be ashamed of it, 
to not hide it. Um, when I mess up, I mess up, own it. And yeah. when I get something right, praise God. Yeah. And I just, my goal in bringing God glory is to be an authentic, genuine person who is approachable, who is kind, who is gracious, who is a bit goofy and, and, and willing just to do some hard things. So that's, yeah. that's how I see God's calling in my life. Yeah. And as I've, I've only known you for maybe a year, maybe, um, but that's what I see as an observer. So uh, thank you for being authentic and, and real. Uh, thank you for leading the city of Xenia. And uh, I'm really glad you joined me today on the City Real Stories podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.